This is water, by the way. Frozen <laughs> strawberries in it. Mr. Welsh, you retired and you're off the clock. You can literally do whatever you want. You answer to virtually no one now. You know what I mean? Apart from Mrs. Welsh. Hello and welcome. My name is Assad. My name is Jamie. We're two surgical trainees in the north of England, and this is the podcast that aims to dissect, to probe, to anatomize, and analyze what it is to be a surgical trainee. Welcome to It's Always Sunny in Surgery. So on uh, this podcast episode, we are very privileged to have with us um, a very special guest, Mr. Mark Welsh, uh, Consultant General and Vascular Surgeon from the Northwest. Welcome, Mr. Welsh. Um, great pleasure to have you on. Um, uh, this episode in particular, we're sort of going to talk about surgical training and how that has changed uh, over the last 20, 30 years uh, and whether that's in a good way or a bad way. Probably best to start, Mr. Welsh, um, for the listeners who, who don't know you, don't know who you are, um, if you could kind of give us a brief overview of of your career so far and how you got here. How long have you got? Um, <laughs> I went to medical school in Leeds at the age of 17 in 1979, qualified in 84. Um, I did house jobs in Leeds, at Leeds General and St. James's. Four separate SHO jobs. Casualty, ENT, orthopedics, cardiothoracics, separate six-month standalone posts. Then got primary and then got uh, a rotation in Manchester. February 88, I started on that. And then uh, you moved up to registrar once you got your second part of the FRCS. Then I moved up to registrar and I was on the registrar rotation for a few years. Uh, and then interviewed for a senior registrar job. Um, was appointed to that in, I think, 95. And then in October 98, I started as a consultant. And then I was there two years. <clears throat> and then an opening came back at Withington, South Manchester, for pure vascular job. Interviewed for that, and I got that. I started that in October 2000. And uh, that was my job until I retired. I'd say this is a real privilege for me because, um, like, we talk a lot about training and, and like Mr. Welsh, you, you're the person that kind of made me believe that I could maybe get to the end. And people that listen to us or on a frequent basis will probably know that I mentioned you or alluded to your existence on multiple occasions. And not just that, but other people we've had on. You've left a ripple across the Northwest for a certain generation of training. <laughs> yeah. Like for me anyway, it's like, you know, you're the person who made me think, you know what, I can actually do this. Like, honestly, a real honour for me to, to get you on here. Well, it's very kind of you to say so. I've always, I've, I think we're very privileged, actually. I think medicine, particularly surgery, it's a privilege to do a job that you enjoy. I've always enjoyed the job, you know, since the very beginning. And I've always enjoyed, you know, working with trainees since I've been a consultant. For me, it's great to take someone done virtually nothing and then bring them up and 
you know, a few, a few years later, they're a consultant with better surgical skills than I ever had. Also, the reason we've, we've got you on is you, you've done your training long before us. I mean, we, we, uh, I've just sort of at the, right at the beginning of mine, Assets right in the middle of his. There's a lot of sort of information going around uh, about what training used to be like um, and how much it's changed. Uh, you know, frequently I read the letters going into the Times and it's usually a retired surgeon saying how difficult, how, how many hours uh, they used to do back in the day um, and how do- junior doctors should stop complaining. But on the other hand, a lot of consultants who I've worked with seem to allude to training being much more enjoyable back then. In, in terms of what your perspective being someone who's been through training and then being a trainer, do you think that things have changed for the better um, uh, or do you think it's maybe not so? I mean, I'll tell you what it was like. Um, yes, there were a lot. I mean, from the very beginning, we did one in between one in two and one in four surgical house job. It was one in four for three months, one in two doing urology, which, you know, you're on every other night. Um, and it, it was like that all the way through. And even as a consultant, um, I, you know, for the first few years, I was on a one in two. So we've always done long hours. I think as a trainee, though, I think the difference was there were more of us around. You know, so for example, on a bit of a medical house job, um, when you were on, on call, there were three floors on the medicine block at Jimmy's in Leeds. And so there was someone on call for each of those floors. And so the admissions rotated, you know, so you weren't being every single person that came into the hospital. Um, and so you had a bit of breathing space. Also, there were a few of you around, you know. There's a doctor's mess, you know, so you can meet up, eat, and you're always on with the same team as well. So you're always on with your same houseman, SHO, registrar, consultant, the team. It's always on together on call. And that's great because, you know, you've got the camaraderie, you work out who's doing what, um, you work out how you're going to sort out food, when you're on call at the weekend, we always made sure we were cooking in the mess because the canteen wasn't open. So, and so we cooked our own meal. And so we, you know, there were things that made it more palatable, even though it was a very busy job. Um, I was telling Assad, you know, in that particular job at Stepping Hill, every time I was on call, I did at least one appendicectomy. More often, two to three, a few times, four appendicectomies. I think another thing about training then as opposed to now is there were more opportunities for the junior surgeons to actually cut your teeth and start off on little things. So we had locals list of our own, for example, which you did in, in the, the outpatient department with minimal assistance, really. And then the SHOs on the main operating lists, the boss would always bring in things like varicose veins, hernias, hemorrhoidectomies, they were SHO operations, and so they will be your operations, you know. And you were t- shown how to do them, and then you had to do them. And so you get the opportunity to do birth DUs. We did a lot of laparotomies in the old days. And a gallbladder was a junior registrar operation. So my first year was a registrar at Trafford General, which was considered a quiet job. Uh, I did 70 gallbladders myself. It's interesting to hear because I compare that to kind of what what we're doing now, and it sounds like there's people sort of trusted you a bit more with with operations like that. 
I think things have been done. Every, every level has been dumbed down a little bit compared to what it was like, you know. So, I mean, even as housemen, then we tried to get into theatre, and you know, if you were lucky, you got to do an appendectomy or or two. Um, but certainly, as an SHO, it was expected you would be operating. Um, and the registrar said to us, "The registrar was the main man, as far as we, you were concerned, when you were an SA, a houseman of the SHO." Even getting to do an appendix is sometimes like, "Oh, you're getting to do an appendix," became a, a cause for celebration. Not only were you doing lots of numbers, but you're also doing mm. like quality of operating. What what was it actually like when you were in theatre? Like, were you just expected? Here you go, you've seen this, crack on, off you go. The registrar would come to theatre, and you rather you didn't see the consultant very much. So, um, so the SH, the, the registrar would come with you, um, if he'd not seen you operate. So, when you move from one job to another, you know, you're always in with the reg. And if you'd done a pair of settings before, he'd just be with you just to see, make sure that you were capable of doing them. And um, if the registrar was happy that you were well capable of doing the penicetomies, then it was an SHO operation. You know, it was you and the, and the scrub nurse and perhaps a houseman coming to assist you. And you call the reg in if you were struggling. So that's the way it was. It, it was a great experience, really. Um, similarly with things like perfs, you know, I did my first perf as an SHO, but that was with the registrar assisting me. And it was, you know, just doing the laparotomy. It's a very easy, simple operation, a perfect DU, but it's a mega thing to do the first time you do it. And, you, you know, you're doing the laparotomy, washing out, closing it up, you know, closing the hole with a dental patch and then just closing, washing out, closing the other one. And you just feel great after you've done it. And like any operation, once you've done something like that, any, well, any procedure once or twice, it gives you so much confidence that, um, you know, you want to do the next one without them being there. No one would get that experience now. It's a big issue, a, a huge issue of contention amongst trainees, and that is paying for e-portfolio. Essentially, we fork out 250 quid a year to the JCSD to use a website to, to get people to tell us that we're doing okay or not okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've spoken to some people about it who said, yeah, it didn't exist back in the day. It was just your logbook, and if your boss liked you, you'd carry on. That's that's the way it went. What was it like for you getting assessed and, and stuff? Although we've got a lot of um, operating to do, a lot of leeway, we were being watched, you know, but it was just different. Um, but we didn't have to fill in workplace-based assessments and stuff like that, I think. Uh, so I feel sorry for you, you know, all, all of those things. Um, uh, although... I've seen that from the other side, obviously, as a program director and, and doing ARCPs and stuff. And I think the only the, the, the main positive thing is it, it it gets you into the doing things that you're going to have to do in for appraisals as a consultant because consultant appraisal um, is similar. But once I, I was probably a middle grade registrar, once they'd brought in registrar numbering, um, then they brought in the RETA assessments. So the deanery came into being then. But the RETA assessments were a lot more benign than an ARCP. Um, you just had to start, give a presentation of what you'd done for the last 12 months. I think the one bad thing, actually, looking back, although it didn't affect me, was it was unusual to get direct feedback, you know, one-to-one to one with the boss, unless there was something wrong with you. The only reason where you knew exactly where you were is that no one said anything to you. 
and you weren't allowed to carry on doing things and you were getting <laughs> more to do, you know. That was pretty so you, you assumed that things were, were going okay. That's a, no news is good news, then. Yeah. It's interesting you talked about the firm structure before as well and how you kind of work with the same people day in, day out. These days in hospitals, we're constantly rotating around, um, constantly working with different people and di- on different rotors. Um, do you think that was an advantage to that? Massively important. I think that's one of the most, one of the thing that's the most important thing that's disappeared now, you know, because uh, number one, you're working with a, a team your own, you know, your, your own team. And so you, you you know each other, you're aware of the way each other works, et cetera, and the boss knows you. Um, but the, the main thing is they're your patients. And the minute they come through that door until the, until when they leave that hospital, they're under your care. They've got your consultant's name above the end of the bed, and that does not change. You ask any patient now, they're completely lost, the um, patients who've been in hospital because uh, particularly if they've been admitted as an emergency, they don't really know who they've been under. They're not quite sure what's been done. They see a different doctor every day. And also, I think it's 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 more difficult for the people looking after them. Maybe you've got new people coming, reassessing, you know, hand over all these things. I think the only bad thing was <clears throat> we did frequent on-calls. And if you were up half the night or up all night, you were the next day. Um, and so... It was hard, but you, you know, when you're in your twenties or early thirties, you can cope with that. And if you were particularly knackered, then you'd, you'd disappear and get someone to cover you. You know, when you did a one in two, that you said like, "Well, think about the maths. If you're on a one in two, and everyone else is on one in two, that means half the housemen that should be on this department are in, and so you're not short of extra hands that you need to when when you're up against it." But yeah, some of the jobs that, but the, but we had a doctor's mess. You know, and so there were there were other non-surgical specialties as well. My first registrar job at Trafford General, um, we had a doctor's mess, and uh, on a, so in the mess there would be anaesthetists, you know, pedi- pediatrics, medicine. And so you know, there were a group of people who were intermittently going in and out of the mess when they were sort of not too busy. And in fact. Uh, when I was there, um, an Indian restaurant opened across the road. So we made a point on a Saturday evening of everyone going across there. Um, and because uh, the bleeps went, you know, reached, you know, the bleep system. And, uh, and normally between about 6 and 8.30 on a Saturday evening, it was usually fairly quiet. And so that was great camaraderie because there'd be me as the registrar, the SHO, um, in surgery, you know, the, the anaesthetic registrar or SHO, one or two others. So you had things like that, and that just made a three-day weekend or a four-day weekend much more palatable. I don't think there was anything wrong with it because, you know, if, if someone came in, you just got up and walked, went across, walked across the road. 
I mean, like everyone you need to sort the the patient out is like at the dining table, aren't they? So you can they're all, all there. Yeah, they're yeah. all there. The only thing we couldn't do was really drink alcohol. So, you know, we had to be careful with that. Um, they used to have bars in the mess, didn't they? Yes. Yeah, we had bars in the mess. Yeah, yeah. And we had mess parties. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it just like the rule that don't get yourself battered, like you just be sensible or? I, I, I think all I could say for that, that's up to an, an individual with his conscience, <laughs> isn't it? Um, so most hospitals had uh, a mess. Certainly in the teaching hospitals, they had um, a bar card system. So it was uh, what they call an, an honesty bar. So the cards have 40 little dot, you know, 40 squares on them. And every pint was supposed to be two squares. Most people just put one square for a pint. So it was, it was the bar, the bars were always losing money. We had to run regular mess parties to, um, keep the bar afloat. So we made about three or four hundred pounds profit on a mess party once a month. But yeah, and the, but the, in the mess on an evening, um, you know, you have a, Usually have a regular crowd of sort of um, regulars. You know, they would usually be the senior registrars in surgery. Actually, you know, that was when I was a houseman, um, who may or may not have been on duty. I don't know. But it was a good. It was a great place for camaraderie and a meeting place and etc. You know. The other thing that a lot of people talk about. Um in terms of how things have changed over the last few years is the flattening of the hierarchy back in the day, the consultant at the top. Um, whereas now, nowadays things are starting to get more flat, especially with the multidisciplinary team. Um, it's something that a lot of people are complaining about, especially trainees. Is that something you noticed? Uh, do you think that's necessarily a bad thing? You're asking an old fashioned surgeon, uh, <laughs> very, very leading question. Of course, it's a bad thing. Of course, it's a bad thing because you you can't have you can't have several bosses. You've got to, you can only have one boss, um, and um, things have become very politically correct, haven't they? Really, um, too much the other way now. What I've seen you know you can't even speak to someone the wrong way before someone and they're complaining about you. You know, so that's it's just a different world, isn't it? In my day, as a junior and as a consultant. You know, you'd expect the boss to be in charge and drill pe- drill other people um, in terms of, um, you know, getting the cases done. And, they, they, I mean, not just doctors either, actually. It was the same with nurses. So you would have a, a, a senior nurse or two sisters in charge of a particular theatre, and they drilled their scrub nurses in just the same way. And they bollocked them if things weren't right. And they t- made sure they learned how to um, hand out instruments properly to a surgeon, you know, which instruments were necessary for each individual um, place, um, which what certain consult, certain doctors' preferences were, you know, because we all use things, do things slightly differently. Um, and that was really important. And that's all gone. The who, the who check. Don't get me on the who check. Yeah, I mean, there are so many stumbling blocks that delay the, the theatre list now. I mean, in, in, the, in, the, in the good old days, you just bang through the cases. So 
you know, the next case would be sent for when you were sort of getting ready to close. And, um, and by the time you'd finished, um, the case, um, the next one will be in the, in the anesthetic room. And if the, if the consultant anesthetist had a registrar, I mean, he was putting the lines in while she were closing up the, the, the case. <laughs> I was at Trafford General's, the first year registrar. I, I had a, my own list on Thursday morning. And, um, I'd usually do it. It was a good general list. Do we usually have a gallbladder, a hernia, uh, and one or two other cases, one or two other cases. Get through about four cases on the morning list. And we had this associate specialist, um, who was the anesthetist and he was absolutely brilliant. Um, but you couldn't get to the coffee room because the minute you just closed one case, you had the next one asleep in the anesthetic room. And so when that patient was wheeled out, the next one was wheeled in. That's like the dream, isn't it? It is the dream, but I mean, there may have been one or two safety issues, I guess. I don't know, but uh, but that was the ideal list because it just you 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 got through the cases um, with minimal fuss. Do you ever feel like in recent years you've had other not not doctors basically meddling in your lists? Like when you're a consultant surgeon, you op- you should be able to operate on whoever you want to operate on. That's your prerogative as a surgeon. And provided you're an anaesthetist that you use, it agrees um, to anaesthetise, then that should be that. But we found that it's become a little bit more pervasive uh, and people have been creeping their way in and saying, oh, you can't do that. No, never happened to me. But then again, it wouldn't, would it? Because people would look at me and think, oh, don't mess about with him. He's an awkward bugger. Um, but I think that kind of thing happens to the young surgeons who just have to do as they're told because, you know, the lists are chosen for them. I mean, uh, it's laughable, you know. They don't even choose what's on their own list. It's, they're just given to them by a coordinator. No way. I, I couldn't cope with that because I'm the one who knows what I can get through on a list. Um, so I would never be able to have tolerated that kind of interference. Um, you're right, things are different now. Um, it's a, it's a different world um, that I, I, I would have struggled. As I told you before, with respect to management, I think management has changed a lot. Um, I spent a lot of time in management. I've been a, I was a clinical director for well over 10 years. I, think I was associate medical director for four years. But, but as a clinician, as a clinical director, my view was that the manager, the, the, the director of management were there to support what we wanted. I'm the expert. I don't need some other person, some non-surgeon, telling me how to run my service. They're not an expert. I am. They are there to facilitate what we want, and that's always been my view of of managers. Um, We can all be friends as long as they do what we say. (laughs) (laughs) Until more recently when you've got this new breed that think they can just dictate what goes on, and that's that's why everyone's leaving early. And they're only, they're only leaving because, uh, for one reason, that's because the environment in which they're having to work um, is just unpalatable. There was a case where we had to do, uh, and this is a true story, so I'm not going to say any more than that, but there was a case that we had to do you know, a quite a complicated um, anterior resection in a woman who had a tracheostomy and who had a hematological disorder. So the anaesthetists were nervous and they had to get a special ENT anaesthetist to intubate. And then they had to get irradiated blood products bust in from Liverpool to do it. And then she needed a HGU bed because there was some sort of issue. 
And then she, she basically had to come in two days before to have bowel prep because they couldn't give it to her on the day before and there were some issues. So she'd been in hospital for two days, needed bowel prep, needed a special anaesthetist. They'd been released from their ENT list to do this and an AHD bed, which had been ring-fenced. And on the morning of the procedure, uh, the a business manager had reservations given the go-ahead to do this case. And she, she she was sort of like, hang on, hang on, and we just need to check. We need to wait for like the 11 o'clock bed meeting, blah, 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 meeting. And the truth of the matter is this business manager was a 24-year-old fashion graduate. She got a degree in fashion studies and she was a business manager in the NHS. And uh, this consultant, just uh, the first time I've seen him, do it, he just went to his office and put his head in his hands and he was like, that's it, I'm done, I'm leaving. I've been a surgeon longer than this woman has been alive. And she's telling me what I can and can't do. And like, we know there's a bed available. We know there's things available. The ITU have promised me, the anaesthetists have got it all sorted. We've got the blood products in the fridge. And I have to wait for an arbitrary meeting at 11 o'clock, which means we have to start, and which means we're going to overrun. So I'm going to have to cancel my second cancer case. And then like six months later, he's, he's emigrated to New Zealand. He's living the life. One of the big things I started um, thinking about when we were planning this episode was um, that something that I heard someone say, it was a retired surgeon, I think he was a urologist, um, who basically said that uh, just before he retired, um, one of the things that he really realized was that he, he didn't enjoy his job as much as he did um, when he started his training and that the job became less enjoyable, mainly because of everything we've talked about so far, the red tape, um, problems in management, getting less theatre time. Would you agree with that? Would you say that it's less less fun? It, it became so for me, which is why I retired early. Because, you know, I used to, you know, to, to do an operating list which runs like clockwork. It's enjoyable, you know, um, and where you're in complete control, you can give cases away to the registrar, you're not worried that two were better... I better do this case myself because we're not going to get the last case done. I mean, there was never any of that. But I, I lost my enjoyment, not of surgery, but of the way surgery was being done um, and the way things were being practiced and the, and the, the systems. And I, and I have no control. Um, for me, for any surgeon, really, being in control of what you're doing was always very important. You know, being in control of what I was doing, of the people who were around helping me to do that. So in control of the juniors, with your teams, making sure I've got admin support, my own secretary. There's another thing. So I'll talk about secretaries. I think you should, yeah. Because they're a very important person. Um, each consultant had his own secretary. And they're not just a, a typist. They dealt with lots of other things, you know. Um, and I have my own secretary all throughout that time. And they're so important because patients ring in a lot. And so the secretary sort of knows whether to ask you about adding patients onto a clinic, someone who's having a problem, post-op problem, something's getting worse. Someone who's had a fempop six, you know, two years ago, they've got some pain in the foot and we just add them onto the clinic. So, you know, it, it actually ensured that you had good, a good quality service. 
um, that has been completely destroyed now because no one has their own secretary anymore. That the, the, the good organisation of the units disappeared, and that frustrates frustrates me a lot. Um, you've got four surgeons sharing a small office, and so you know you can't have proper meetings anymore. Uh, well, we could, you know, uh, I don't know, lots of lots of changes. You had quite a, like you had quite a fun relationship with with secretaries, didn't you? Are you bringing in something from the past now, Asad? Yeah. Uh, well, of course. You... Well, the secretaries were very, very, very important, especially when you as a junior, because the secretaries were your input, your way in to knowing what the boss thinks about you um, and what the boss likes. You know, because the secretaries, you know, you know, with them sort of very, very close to the bosses, you know, and um, um, so it's every job I went to, really. And so you had to get on, keep me on the right side of the secretary to, um, you know, f- f- to, to be on the right side of the boss half the time, to be honest. Um, and they were great people. You could laugh with them, you know. Yes. Um, I'm not going to tell you that story. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to tell you that story? If you don't mind, it was a good story. <laughs> only, only like, you know. No, no. I, I, I think we did, maybe we did get away with a lot of things in those days. And um, so, so when I was a middle grade registrar in 1994, this particular secretary's birthday, I organised a uh, a young lad to come round and do a strippogram <laughs> in the secretary's offices. I think she was mortified, actually, so because um, she was a bit of a shy girl, you know. Anyway, she got me back. So what happened? The secretary's offices in this particular house were next to theatres. So when you're between cases or certainly at lunchtime, you just came out of the back door, side door and you're in the secretary's offices, and you could just sign off your letters or whatever, and. Uh, on this occasion, uh, so it's lunchtime, and I went into one of the offices, and it was my birthday actually. So um, they, they brought in a few sandwiches and crisps and nuts and bottles of lemonade and stuff, no alcohol. I was guided into this office and given a load of notes to sign off letters. So I was sort of sat uh, at a table as I was signing these letters off. It, it sort of went a bit quiet. I could just feel something, and um, anyway. And and, I, and I, out of the corner of my eye, I just saw some movement at the, behind me. So someone had come into the office because it was in that office. And I thought, uh-uh, what's going on here? And then this broad Lancashire voice said, is it your birthday, love? <laughs> I turned round. There was this big buxom blonde with a ghetto blaster in her hand. And I thought, right, um, I've either got to run out of here now or just take take this. So I just thought, I'll take it, you know. <laughs> and um, and she pressed the button and this music started and stripped off. And at the door, I just looked at, I just looked at the door because I, I was in theatre blues and I just looked at the door and all the, everyone was at the door, the bosses were all looking like this with a big smile on their faces. So it was great, you know. It was quite funny, and uh, I think I think that secretary still has photographs from that event. <laughs> you couldn't get away with you couldn't get away with that one today. 
I know. I was just thinking about the amount of paperwork that would come your way <laughs> if that got up these days. Because obviously you think, oh my Lord, you know, this sort of hijinks in hospital. Your bosses are all in on it, you know. That's the that's the, the sort of the validation that you need. If they're okay with they think it's funny, then then you're uh, you're hoping. Oh, yeah, no, they loved, they loved it. They loved it. I think they wanted me to be taken down a peg or two, you know. So. <laughs> I was too cocky as a registrar, maybe. started me on the mdt now. <laughs> oh god and um, but uh, yeah so uh, so that's so a training you know i think that's important to rotate through different you just moved me on to the mdt actually so i'd like to say something about the mdt then i think the mdt is an awful institution um uh and that is it's actually made it's 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 become a, a be you know it's snowballed into something that it was never meant to be. You know we always had from when I was a consultant, when I was a junior as well as well, but certainly in vascular surgery we had a weekly X-ray meeting which took an hour. You know we looked at certain angios, um, and um, obviously things have changed and a lot more CT scans done now and so and uh, EVARs and stuff. So I appreciate that certain things do have to go through meetings like that to determine what the best way of operating on them is. But the problem is now every single thing is going to an MDT. I mean, I'm doing medical legal now. I've seen some awful things in medical legal. Hospitals in the Northwest even as well, but there are some places I wouldn't send my dog for an operation. You've got people who no longer are capable of making decisions and just getting on with things. I don't know. Words fail me. <laughs> it's one of those things I think applies to uh, the wider picture in medicine these days is that people have become so much more worried about litigation, referral to GMC for um, things going wrong clinically, that they they don't want to make a decision uh, without you know having it discussed with everyone. Um, yeah. So that you sort of spread the blame if if, they, if it becomes a, uh, the wrong decision, and as a result, we delay delay things, and it it leads. To- You're right, and you, and you end up you end up in a worse situation. You're absolutely right, and I think that's the difference. These one of the another difference between what surgery was like when I was brought up as a trainee, um, and what it is like now. We were taught, but one of the main jobs of a surgeon was to make decisions, not have to, you know, by the time you become a, a senior registrar or a consultant, you're a very highly trained individual. You know, you've been, you've been practicing as a, you, you did medical school for five years. You know, medical school isn't for thickies, it's for very clever people. And then you're then doing multiple jobs, learning, learning all these different things. And then once you're a consultant, you've done multiple exams, etc., etc. Um, and, all of a sudden, you're not allowed to make a decision because it might not be the right decision. Well, what a load of rubbish. Um, I mean, that's awful. Um, I think, you know, if something is contentious, you know, you can speak to a colleague, a senior colleague, you know, um, or you can take, if, you know, but to take everything to a multidisciplinary team meeting because 
oh, unless everyone says it's the right thing to do, then I'm not so sure, you know, for something that's straightforward. Nonsense, isn't it? So surgeons and that, and, and so the junior doctors are, are, are learning that that's normality and that's what's wrong about the system now. You're learning that it's normal not to make a decision. In my book, well, the main jobs of a surgeon is to make a decision and you stand by your decisions. You might get the odd decision wrong, but you'll get a lot, most of them right. Nowadays, you're not going to get anything right because you're not making the decision. You know, you've had a, a career, I mean, it's still ongoing career that, that's been well-trodden and well-lived. And I think, you know, a lot of us look back at people of your heyday and think, you know, you really were working and living and operating in like the golden years of surgical training. What do you think that you would say to trainees of today that have got all these grievances about the way they're treated in training? with uh, the lack of opportunity and the, the stifling and the... I understand the grievances because, um, I mean, there are multiple things that are beyond your control, you know. So the limiting the limitation hours, for example, is one, isn't it? You know, um, because of the limit, you know, the European Working Time Directive, um, so not being on call anywhere near as much. But when you are on call and on duty, you're working 10 times as hard because it's just non-stop. So that's not a good way to work. Um, that causes burnout, in my opinion. You're better off working more hours in less intense, not quite as intense. So that, that will be my preference. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, the pay has gone down. So I'm, I'm not really in agreement with striking per se for doctors. I don't think it's the right thing to do because I don't, I don't think it gets political, you know, support from Joe Public and political support. And so, you know, um, it doesn't get you anywhere, but I'm not sure what the answer is. But uh, I agree that the pay is poor. Um, like for housemen, you know, when we were housemen, we did a lot of on-call. So we got a lot of extra money for the on-call and we got free accommodation that we all lived in. Now, they just get the limited hours pay, um, which hasn't increased much, obviously, over donkey's years. And they also have to pay for their own accommodation. And they're not together anymore, so there's no camaraderie. So it's a very lonely existence as a as a, as a foundation doctor, in my opinion. So I think that's that's particularly bad. Um, junior surgeons, you've just not got the same opportunities. The pigeonholing into each individual surgical tunnel comes on a lot sooner now. Um, you know, it's like a, a, a mentor of mine. <clears throat> Used to said, you know, the way things are going now, you know, you've got a left breast surgeon, a right breast surgeon, you know, a left leg surgeon, you know, you've got a thousand. It was, you know, the general. It was the generality of surgery that excited me. You know, first of all, you're doing a hernia, then you're doing a gallbladder, then you're doing a breast operation, then you might be doing, you know, a submandibular gland or something like that, and then you might be doing a fem pop. Oh, that was heaven. That was heaven. The generality of surgery. Um, but yeah, but you're, but that's, I, I understand the opportunities are less. 
having to spend time doing the workplace-based assessments, you know, a bit of a bind, having to do all those things. Um, I don't know. I, think, I just think the opportunity, I think we, maybe we got more opportunities and we were, our um, levels were not dumbed down. So the SH show in, in, in my day, you were quite a senior person. The SH show in general surgery. As a registrar in general surgery, you were the man. Senior registrar, well, they were like consultants and the boss was way up there, you know, and uh, um, was now. So I think part of the problem now, probably spend less time with your trainer, your named trainer, than we used to do because you're not just working exclusively for that individual are you because you might not be on with your own boss when you're on call you're on with different people so that's not good is it really um and so the the, the mentorship uh, isn't as good as it could be because of that does that does that answer your question yeah in a pretty depressing way but yeah <laughs> it's like the ship has sailed though it's out of port but no, but it's what. But it's what. But you've got to make of. You've got. You've got to make the best of what you've got. Really, that's the, that's the answer. Um, because you know, when you know, in twenty years' time, what's it going to be like in twenty years' time? You might be robots doing all the operations, physician associates doing the operating, and we're just doing the post-op prescribing. Well, it's interesting. You should bring, bring that up. Actually, that's that's an interesting point because uh, I did a case. Uh, um, well, this actually, I did, I did a couple of cases. And, uh, I had an assistant who was um, a, a, a surgical assistant. I said, oh, "What you know? What do you do there?" And um, kind of training they undergo, but they're not doctors at all. You know, harvesting long saphenous vein and um, opening chests. Opening chests. This is not a doctor. This is a surgical assistant, and they have in a teaching hospital in Manchester. Surgical assistants opening the chest, and then you've got junior doctors who, you know, state shows even registrars who can't get a look in to get any op- operating them. I mean, when I was an state show in cardiothoracic surgery, that was what we did. We opened and closed the chest, and we we harvested vein. But by doing that, we learned a lot because we did quite did quite a lot of it. You know, you started off closing, harvesting vein, and closing the chest, and then you got to learn to open the chest. These are all building lots for the for the surgeons. Now, in a lot of places, we seem to have non-surgeons doing a lot of the surgical cases. I'm to, I'm, I don't know how it's happened, and I think our I think you know our, our rural colleges have have let us down in that because they should have there should be some say that the colleges or the GMC have to control. This kind of thing. Um, the acid. This is where acid should be lobbying the Association of Surgeons and by that other colleges to sort of do something about it. But what would you say to us to try and make surgery gay again? How do we? How do we do that? So for you, enthusiasm. Um, do your best to, to find your training opportunities. If you can't find the training opportunities in the actual job where you are. You may be able to find them in the same hospital, you know, in, a, in, a, in, a, in another with another consultant or somewhere else. You might be able to attend somebody else's specialty clinic, whatever. Do you know what I mean? 
pick up pick up training opportunity, extra training opportunities where you can. Tick the appropriate boxes just to min- minimise, just to make sure that you know the ARCPs and things aren't an issue for you. You just get yourself into a frame of mind where it's not a big deal. And the other thing is, um, be resilient. Be resilient. By resilience, I mean learn to accept that um, sometimes things won't go your way. Um, uh, so be resilient. Be assertive. Be assertive. So you know, stick to your guns if uh, if you think uh, particularly, and, and make sure you have an opinion. I know there's a lot of political correctness come in now, and you know everyone's got to know everybody's name. I don't know why they do that, Hoochet, because they all say who they are, and I can't remember any of the names anyway. So it's a complete waste of time, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you're the surgeon, and on those on those ward rounds, you're in charge of the ward rounds, a registrar or whatever, uh, or as a consultant, you know, you are the one in charge. So make sure you assert your authority. <laughs>